Once more, welcome to all of you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor of Woodburn Baptist. If you're joining us by means of audio or video podcast, welcome to you. All of you in the cafe worship, we love you. We pray that your uh, worship today is important and, and rich. Acts chapter 16 is where I want us to be today. Acts chapter 16. Second message in a series, which is for us here at Woodburn Baptist, a focus on missions. And I, I want to uh, get you to uh, pay close attention today to what Scripture says and also to give some very careful consideration of what God is calling us to do together. Very, very basically, I want you to understand that the church itself, all of us together, uh, we are on a, a missionary journey. Now, I, I know the building is here and we've been here for about 150 years, but, but, but in a very real and important way, you need to see that our church is on a journey together and, and it is a, a mission trip, a, a missionary journey. So if we're traveling together, if it's a missionary journey together, the question becomes, what, what kind of traveler are you? Because everybody has sort of a different way of, of going down the road. Now, in my family, in my marriage, Casey and I are very, very different types of travelers. I am kind of the um, fly by the seat of your pants kind of traveler. Uh, I don't really pack because why? You know, I'm, I'm going to throw some stuff in a bag at the very last minute. I'm going to the beach. It's the only place I ever want to be. I'm going to the beach where so all I really need is a pair of shorts, bathing suit, maybe some flip-flops, a couple of t-shirts. Anything else that I don't have, there's a Walmart everywhere. I mean, that's just sort of my, my approach. I can buy it when I get there. I, I don't really worry about it too much, but, but my wife is the opposite kind of traveler. If we're going to vacation in June, she's probably already packing now. That's not a joke. She's probably got a list going. At the very least, I can promise you she's already shopping for a bathing suit because that happens year-round. She plans. She packs scientifically. She drives deliberately. And it's really fantastic. That's why I can fly by the seat of my pants, understand? Uh, Because I got this this amazing, uh, amazing woman. Now, she's serious about it, and there's a plan. When you're traveling with my wife, you eat and you pee on schedule. (laughs) You just do. We'll be... You know, leaving town through Franklin, and, and I'll stop at the last McDonald's and get, you know, like the, the most giant Diet Coke I can get, which will guarantee that I need to empty my bladder in Portland. <laughs> but with Casey now, you do not pee until you see that Huntsville, Alabama rocket. I mean, we pee at the rocket, and not before, you know. It's just that sort of thing. Uh, I love her, and I, I love traveling with her. But when you take a trip together, it does mean that you have to sort of understand uh, what the goals are, what the destination is, and we have to learn to make an allowance for our differences. And maybe this is a part of what we can learn from Acts chapter 16. If the church is on a missionary journey together, then understand the Holy Spirit is leading us place to place and day by day to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the church is about. Acts chapter 16 is just a part of sort of a travel log. This is one of Paul's missionary journeys, and you just get the sense, it's almost like a diary of what happened as they go from place to place. I just want us to dig in this little part of the travel log and and see what lessons we can learn. Acts chapter 16, going to begin in verse 6. It says the word of the Lord, it says this, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. 
Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city. The word there is outside the walls. We went outside the walls to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. I'll jump up to verse 40 just for fun. Verse 40, the very bottom of the chapter says this. When Paul and Silas left the prison, remember there's a whole big story about what happens next in prison. When they left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia and there they met with the believers and encouraged them once more, and then they left town. That little detail there, that little detail in verse 40, probably is meant to tell us that the church in Philippi, uh, at least part of it, ended up meeting there in Lydia's home. Uh, she became the first church, the first house church in the whole continent of Europe. But start back with me in verse 6. The word is next. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia. I just want to call your attention to a few things, lessons from Paul's journey that might help us on our church's journey. And the first comes back to that little word next. It's the way that the Holy Spirit seems to interrupt Paul. He's a man in motion. He's always a man in motion in Scripture. He's always moving from one place to the next always ready to take the next step. And you'll see that the Holy Spirit is the one who directs him. And, and I just want to basically begin with this one simple principle, and it applies in your life, it applies to us as a church. And it's just simply this, that the Holy Spirit can't direct your steps if you're not taking any steps. It, it's the whole principle of trying to steer a car that's sitting around in park it's very difficult to drive to direct a car that's not actually moving. It's a very different thing to steer and direct a car that, that's in motion. Paul is a man in motion, and Paul and Silas and the missionaries involved here on, on these journeys, these are men who follow Christ and who live for Christ, and therefore their lives are always being pulled forward into the future that Christ has for them. They're always in motion, always on this path of obedience, always on this journey of, of the gospel. 
And you've got to see that. They are in motion. It doesn't mean they're just consumed with, with purposeless busyness. But it does mean that, that when you're following Christ, there really aren't a, a whole lot of breaks. There aren't a lot of moments to rest. There's just not enough time for that. So this journey of the gospel that Paul is, is embarked upon, it is one that leads him in constant motion. And the Holy Spirit directs him as he moves. I say this because as a church during seasons of our life together, but also during seasons of our lives as individuals, some of us just stall out. We, we, we no longer seem to be on the path of obedience. Our lives are not moving forward with Christ. And I just want to point out that the Holy Spirit really can't direct the person who's not moving, who's not taking any steps for him. So if you're one of those people, or if this is one of those periods of your life when you recognize that you've just sort of stopped, you, you, you're no longer following in obedience, you're no longer pushing forward into the future that Christ has for you, you've got to recognize that that's not normal. It's not normal. There's no retirement. There's no time out. As I say, the time that we have to spread the gospel to the whole world is very, very short. And so we have to be moving forward. And as we move, the Holy Spirit will direct our steps. That's the point. But you got to be taking steps. You have to be taking steps. So next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had, what? What's it say? The Holy Spirit had... The word there is very strong. It's it's prohibited. I don't like to be prohibited from anything. That that sounds horrible. The Holy Spirit prohibited them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, that's a large area, and the Holy Spirit said no. So they came to the borders of Mysia. They headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus said no. What? The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go to Bithynia. So instead, they went through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And in Troas, that's when Paul got a a vision. But you understand, all of these places along the road here, Paul's in motion. And Paul is trying to follow very deliberately the leading of the Holy Spirit. But all along the way, there are roadblocks. Along this path of obedience, there are roadblocks, there are obstacles, there are moments when Paul really doesn't understand yet what he's supposed to do and where he's supposed to go. Now that's sort of puzzling for some of us because you would think if the Holy Spirit's leading you, if, if, if Jesus is the one who's calling us forward, then we're just going to sail through this thing with confidence and assurance. But notice that for Paul, there are roadblocks all along the way, and these roadblocks are from the Holy Spirit. And I can hardly imagine the frustration. I can hardly uh, imagine that that incredible uh, deliberateness with which Paul must seek the Holy Spirit and listen to the voice of Christ. Because honestly, every place along the road is a place where the gospel needs to be preached. There's not a one of these cities, not a one of these provinces that's not important. There's not a one of these places that doesn't need the gospel in a really, really serious way. So it's hard to understand why along the way Paul just begins to get the sense of the Spirit that he's not supposed to preach this time in Phrygia or Galatia. That he's not supposed to preach the gospel in Asia. How can you just march right through and not preach? 
goes up through Isaac to the province of Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus says, no, don't preach in Bithynia. Do you understand how crazy this must have felt to Paul? Can you understand how it must have looked and felt to others who are observing his ministry? Marching right on to Philippi, not really knowing where he's going, but along the way, there are a lot of towns he's passing through, and he's not preaching there. How do you explain that? Because I'm telling you, some of you, if you were on the bus with Paul, your heads would be exploding. I I know you people. I I know you. And I'm just like you. It's like, Paul, how can we drive straight through Mysia? How can we not preach in Bithynia? What's wrong with you, Paul? Are you racist? You some sort of anti-Bithynianite or or, or whatever? I mean, you understand? How can you just not preach there? Do you not care about Bithynia? You don't care about Troas? But understand, it's God himself, it's the Lord himself that's leading Paul. And, And the interesting thing is, these places, or at least at this time, that's not what God's will is. Paul's not supposed to preach in these places. And that kind of obedience is very, very important. Knowing what it is God's calling you to do and what he's not calling you to do. You have to be able to discern the difference. That's why you've always got to be listening. Always paying attention. Now, let's just get real, because as a church, uh, a church as involved in missions as our church is, and, and, and as many people as we have, and as many passions as we have, I think this is a place where we need to sort of stop and talk as a congregation, because I think this is one of the places where we sometimes get hung up. And it really comes down to this very simple principle that we share the same mission but we don't share the same passions. Now, again, notice that as Paul, in full obedience to the Holy Spirit, moves all through this amazing expanse of geography, it's obvious that there are places that God wants Paul to preach and places where at this present time, it's not for Paul to preach. That doesn't mean that it's not for somebody else to preach there. And understand, the gospel will be preached in all these places, just not necessarily by Paul. Paul is one man. Paul has one life to live. And Paul has got to answer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit burdens his heart. Paul listens to the Spirit. But now the Spirit's not going to tell Paul necessarily what the Holy Spirit's going to tell Barnabas or Silas. Do you understand? And you can see that all through the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit, it is his mission and it is God's giant purpose to to make sure that the entire globe is reached with the gospel. But that's not going to be possibly what I could accomplish on my own. It takes the whole body of Christ. It takes the whole church. Now, what this means is the Holy Spirit is going to lay things on my heart. I'm going to have passions from the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm going to get a a burden for a place or a burden for a cause or a burden for a particular kind of ministry, and it's going to overwhelm me. And a lot of you have experienced that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You just get this incredible heavy-heartedness for something that God is doing in a, in a particular part of the world or through a particular person, and that simply becomes your passion. It becomes what you eat for breakfast and what you eat for lunch and supper and what you dream about all night long. It's your passion. But understand, we're a congregation of people, and the Holy Spirit's going to lead us all together. We have the same mission 
But the Holy Spirit's not going to necessarily give us all the same passions. Now, that's exactly why in a church the size of Woodbird, we have a, a, a number of different mission opportunities and a number of different missionary endeavors. We do a lot of things locally, and I love everything that we do locally. I love the fact that a whole group of, of our church members were in Woodburn the other week, other week cleaning up leaves for a widow. That's local missions, that's serving Christ, and that's beautiful. And there was a good number of people there raking leaves. I love local missions. I love the fact that we have people at the rest stop on I-65 twice a year. The, the two busiest travel weekends, we have people there ministering, handing out coffee and donuts and sharing the gospel. I love that. I love the fact that right out of our congregation, the Holy Spirit called Kelly and Trisha Lawrence to go down to, to Honduras and minister to orphans there. I love Good Shepherd Orphanage. I, I love that. I love the way the Holy Spirit led people from Woodburn Baptist to become burden for those in, 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 in Asia who are without clean water. I love the fact that we've been very involved in taking clean water to villages that don't otherwise have clean water to drink. And that clean water becomes an open door to the gospel. I love that. Absolutely love that. I love that even as we speak, Frank and Carol Jarbo from our congregation are ministering to the historical reenactment community. They do that nearly every weekend all across the country. I love that. I love the way we collect food and clothing for, for Hotel Inc. in Bowling Green or for Emily's Closet ministering to young girls in our community. I love all of that. I, I love it all. But, but at the same time, each of these things and others that I could continue naming, they typically go back to the passion that, that's down deep in, in, in some individual hearts. And I love how the Holy Spirit is able to burden and direct our individual hearts. But now here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit leads and burdens your individual heart, you must be obedient to that. And you must carry that passion and do everything and go everywhere and sacrifice whatever that passion requires in the Holy Spirit. This is the way the Spirit's directing you. You must be obedient and responsive to that call. But you must not expect that everybody else in the whole church is going to share your passion. Because this is where we get frustrated with each other. I may just absolutely fall in love with local missions. I may begin to think that the rest stop ministry is the most important thing we have going all the time. And then I go out there with, with the donuts and the coffee and the tracks. And I start counting heads as to who's not there. And I start thinking, out of a church of 600 people, you think there'd be more than 15 people out here at the rest stop. Where's everybody else? Understand? And once you start doing that, once you start no longer thinking about what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, but worried that other people aren't doing what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, at that point, all of the joy in serving the Lord and all of the focus on the gospel and, and all of the sense of mission that we share together, it just gets ruined when all of a sudden you think everybody needs to have the same passion that you have. It's never going to be that way. You may have a very strong, heavy burden for a particular part of the world or a particular type of ministry. I'm just telling you that God's probably not going to call you loud enough that the whole church hears it. But when he calls you, you go. 
And when he calls you, you help us understand what he wants you to do. And we'll come alongside you in all the ways we can. But you must not necessarily expect that everybody is going to share the passion and burden that you share. You understand? This is the way the Holy Spirit leads us all together in one church with one big mission. But at the same time, he may have lots of different things for us to do together as individuals in smaller groups. But we just have to learn that the mission is the same, but our passions, our burdens, the particular directions he leads us as individuals, those, those aren't necessarily going to be the same. Don't get frustrated with one another. We follow the Holy Spirit together, always together. Coming to the borders of Mysa, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysa to the seaport of Troas. I can't imagine Paul's frustration. All he wants to do is preach. But the Spirit of Jesus says, no, not here. And Paul must say, but where? But, but there's no answer forthcoming. It's this incredible sense of roadblock. This incredible sense of, of dead end. What am you doing in this mission, the Lord, well, what have you brought us here for? Where are we supposed to go? If not here, where? If not for these people, for whom? This incredible frustration leads to this new vision. Dead ends need to new directions. And that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with them, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that, say it, God was calling us to preach the gospel there. Dead ends lead to new directions. If Paul had not had this frustration, if he hadn't had this moment where he had to stop and listen carefully and listen coastly, he would have never been led in this new direction. This wasn't where the mission started. This wasn't the, the destination they had in mind when they left home. But now they understand God wants us to go to Macedonia. It's beautiful. But, but notice there, notice the destination even then isn't necessarily Philippi. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis, and from there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia in a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. Okay, even once they get to Philippi, there's still this waiting, that there's this being there for several days, still not necessarily knowing what God's up to. And, and, and this is where it just gets actually kind of funny. Now, he had a vision. Go back in verse 9. Paul had a vision in Troas, and what did he see? He saw a, say it, Willie. A, a, a what? A man. He saw a what? A man from Macedonia, and when he gets to Macedonia, what's he meet? A woman. A woman that looked like a man. She had a beard. No, no. I mean, no. It, it, it's a woman. It, it's one. It, it's really interesting. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the walls. That's what the Greek says. Outside the walls to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Now, what's Paul doing? If you ever follow Paul's ministry journeys through the book of Acts, you'll see that he has a particular strategy he likes to hold to. 
When Paul goes into a new town, he typically goes one place first to preach first. And where does he go? He goes to the Jewish synagogue. Paul will always go first to the Jewish synagogue, and he'll preach to the Jews first. Because understand, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and Paul himself is a Jew, and those are his people. And he would expect that at the Jewish synagogue, that's where the gospel would get its first and probably most favorable hearing. The Jews are prepared to hear the good news of their Messiah. So Paul would go to the synagogue first and then sort of build a base out of the synagogue and then begin to reach the city. But Philippi is different. And understand why it must be this way. On the Sabbath, we went outside the walls to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. Now, what makes them think that? A couple of things you have to read between the lines. Obviously, there's no synagogue in Philippi. It's a Roman colony. We're a long way from Jerusalem now, understand. So Paul's not going to find a synagogue in Philippi. Now, in order to have a synagogue, all you needed were 10 Jewish men. To this day, even, 10 Jewish men can form a synagogue. So in this part of the world now, there's probably not even 10 Jewish men in the whole place. So in cities where there's no synagogue, the Jews typically understood that that they would meet by the river, meet by the water for prayer. So Paul says, we assume there'd probably be a prayer meeting, a Jewish prayer meeting maybe, out by the riverbank. So that's where they go. But even when they get there, what do they find? Paul saw a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. But when he gets there, there's no man, not a single man. This is a, a ladies' prayer group. It's a ladies' prayer group. What's Paul going to do now? Understand, his whole strategy is now blown to smithereens. You can't start in the synagogue, and you can't even find a man in Macedonia. What's Paul going to do? Well, very simply, he's going to preach the gospel. He's going to fulfill the mission. You and I, when we're on this missionary journey, we can't fall victim to narrow thinking. And narrow thinking means you can't think that you're ever going to have it all figured out. And you can't even begin to think that you know what God's going to do next because you will never know what God's going to do next. Paul has to go outside the walls at Philippi. You understand that there's sort of an incredible image there of having to go outside your expectations, having to go beyond your preconceived notions. Paul now is totally off the map if there ever was one. And what he expects to find is not what he finds at all. He had a vision of a man from Macedonia, but but who meets him? A woman named Lydia. And she's a very extraordinary woman, not even your typical woman. For one thing, she's very obviously a very wealthy, single businesswoman. She's apparently not married, apparently very, very wealthy. She deals in purple. We're assuming purple cloth, but understand, who wore purple in the ancient world? Royalty, royalty, because nobody else could afford it. You would not go to Goodwill outside of Philippi and find somebody else's old purple sweatshirt. Nobody had purple. You couldn't afford purple. Lydia sells purple dye. Thyatira, where she's from, was known for its purple dye. Where did the purple dye come from? Mollusks from the ocean, like snails. 
And it took an extraordinary number of those mollusks, extraordinary number of snails to make a single gram of purple dye. So this is very, very expensive, very, very wealthy woman here. Because this is her business. This is what she does. And she's one of those women out by the creek bank that day. And Paul recognizes here an open door. You can't fall victim to narrow thinking. You can't expect that because we've always done missions in one way or always moved in one direction that God's not going to do something altogether different with us. You have no idea. But you will miss the leading of the Holy Spirit if you begin to think narrowly. If you begin to think that you've got God all figured out and that you know what the next step is on the mission. Many things will happen along the way. They're going to surprise you, but God will never be surprised. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. She was a a God-fearer, a God-worshipper. She was a Gentile who still knew the Jewish God, the Old Testament God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart. Understand, the, the receiving of the gospel, that's always God's work. The Lord opens hearts, and he opened Lydia's heart so that she would listen to us and accept what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. It's a beautiful little story, but do you understand that that when Paul crossed that water over into the island of Samothrace and then landed at Neapolis, do you understand that at that point, Paul moved to a new continent. It's not just a new place, but if you follow the map, move to a new continent. No longer the continent of, of Asia, but now the, the continent of, of Europe. It's a new continent. And the gospel spreads, therefore, to a new continent. And that continent is Europe. And everything that follows, everything that flows out of, out of the, the Christian spread through the continent of Europe, which is Eventually, how the gospel reaches us, do you understand it? It starts right here. There is one first convert on the whole continent of Europe, and her name is Lydia. She happened to be pretty wealthy and had a big house, and it sounds like the first church, the whole continent of Europe met at her house. It's a small kind of beginning, but... God's not surprised by that. There's, there's a plan to all of this, and God is the one who is directing the steps. Do you understand that? It, it is his great mission, and he calls us to be a part of it. And, and as a church, we, we share this mission together. It, it truly is a missionary journey that we're on. It's not all that different from the journey that Paul was on. Looking at this passage, I think there are a few lessons we can learn together for the journey we're on together. And I just want to say these three things quickly and I'll be done. This missionary journey that we share together, it's, it's really too short for anything but the gospel. What I mean is we don't have a whole lot of time. 
We don't know how long before the Lord returns. We don't know how many days we have left individually to live. It's just short. There's not nearly enough time to waste, and there's certainly not enough time to have priorities further beyond the gospel. Now, as a church and as individuals, sometimes we come together with all kinds of priorities, and we could turn this church into all sorts of things for ourselves. But we are not here for ourselves. We are not here in in, in any way, shape, or form to accomplish any purpose other than the gospel. So this journey that we're on, this mission, this purpose that God has given us, it's it's really too important for us to become sidetracked with anything that is not the gospel. We can't allow lower purposes. We can't allow personal opinions or interests. We can't allow any of this to pull this church away from its large focus on the gospel. This journey is too short for anything but the gospel. And at the very same time, this journey has no map but the Spirit. We're Southern Baptists, but the Southern Baptist Convention cannot send us the the orders from the Holy Spirit so we know what he wants us to do. The only map we're ever going to have is the map we find when we are on our knees together. And the Holy Spirit will lead us when we are on our knees together. We we listen for his voice and we obey wherever he leads us. But we don't know where he will lead us. Narrow thinking will always lead us off the path. If we ever think that we can draw up the map for ourselves, we're going to miss what the Spirit has for us. There is no map here. That there is no plan other than the plan that the Spirit gives us. So that's why it is imperative that every single one of us have a relationship of listening and responding to the Holy Spirit because we have to hear what he's telling us. And part of what he may want to tell the entire church may come through you. If you're out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit or out of fellowship with the church, that means the whole church could somehow be hindered. We need each other, and we need each other to be walking in the Spirit. We need each other to be listening to the Spirit because it's the only way the Spirit can lead us and the only way we can be on the journey he has for us. There is no other map. Does that make sense? The journey has no map but the Spirit, and and you know it comes down to this, it's a journey at great cost. Now, obviously, there are many ways to talk about the cost of the journey. There are are spiritual costs, and you know Jesus paid it all, right? That there are spiritual costs and and emotional costs and relational costs, but but make no mistake that it's just monetary costs. Everything costs money. Now, it was the same way with Paul. Now, we don't see the price tag. We don't see the receipt for everything that he does, but everything that he does here takes money. What do you think, he's riding around on a flying carpet? I mean, he's traveling in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was famous for its system of roads, but part of what made the roads so famous are the toll booths. I mean, there were toll booths every 20 steps. Every time you cross a bridge, there's another toll. Every time you walk into a city, you paid tolls at the city gates. So every time it mentions a city that Paul passes through, he paid tolls. Every time it mentions a stretch of road, he's paying tolls. That means he has to keep reaching in his pocket and pulling out money. When it says that they take a ship over to the island of Samothrace, do you think anybody's given free boat rides? Everything costs money, and they had to spend the night somewhere every single night, and they had to eat meals on the road. I mean, they're going to buzz through the, the, the drive through at White Castle, but somebody's got to pay the bill. 
It, it just takes money. It all takes money. Read Paul's letters to the churches, and usually that last chapter is dealing with money. It just costs money because the mission is a mission to reach the world. And if you haven't been out in the world, everything in the world has a price tag. It just costs money. The, the journey that Christ is leading our church on is a great journey, but there's great cost involved. The uh, March team going to the other side of the world in Southeast Asia, you know, that's a very, very expensive trip. It, it's a great journey, but it has a great cost. It's, it's amazing to take water filters into villages and distribute those house to house, but, but nobody's giving away water filters for free. It's a great journey, but, but, but there's great cost involved in that. You hand out donuts and coffee at the rest stop, guess what? Krispy Kreme opens in a few days, but it won't be handing out free donuts. Everything, it all costs money. It's a great journey that we're on together, but there's great cost involved. And, and you know that next week, as a church, we collect one giant missions offering. Now, we give the missions all year long. I do, and most of you do too. But, but next week is a week where we try to collect the biggest part of what we'll need to do God's will in the coming year. And God, I feel, is calling us to do an awful lot in the coming year. It's going to be a great journey in 2015, but it's going to come at a great cost. Well, Brother Tim, it's Christmas time. Why y'all got to always be asking for money right at Christmas? I mean, money's tight. Money's tight. I, I know money's tight. Money's tight for everybody, but, but you understand there's still a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. And people are going to die and go to hell whether you have a lot for Christmas or whether you don't. What matters most? You understand the journey is too short for anything but the gospel, even if you have to cut Christmas a little thin. Do you understand? This is our church's purpose. It's your individual purpose. There's nothing that matters more than the gospel. That's why you can sort of think of our church's life together as a one big missionary journey. It's, it's, it's a journey that's too short for anything other than the gospel, although there are a lot of other things we could get interested in. It's the gospel that matters, only the gospel. As much as we like to think we've got it all figured out, there's no map for what God wants us to do other than listening to and following the Spirit. We have to do that. It's a thrilling and great journey. Any of you who are paying attention to what God is doing through the mission activity of our church, it is a great journey, but it has a great cost. I want you to consider very, very carefully your part in this journey. Your part in this mission. I want you to think about what you'll give next week. I want you to think about what part of the mission you need to plug into in the coming year. Because like I said, there's really no place for anybody who's not involved. You at least should be carrying the burden in prayer or supporting and sending. There aren't any bystanders here. It's a journey. It's a mission. And we're on it together. We just can't do it without each other. So pray with me. Lord, it's a very big world and a very big mission, and we are basically a small church. Nobody knows we're here. 
We are on the bottom half of Warren County, Kentucky. Nothing special, nobody famous around here. And God, we'll collect an offering, and even the biggest offering we could collect will be a very small thing compared to other churches or compared to the needs of the world. It's easy, Lord, to just start thinking that we can't possibly matter much. It's easy, even in a church our size, to start thinking as individuals that what I do or what I don't do can't matter much. I'm just one person. But Lord, Lydia was one person who opened her home and changed the world. Paul was one person who followed your spirit without hesitation and changed the world. Woman in Southeast Asia was baptized last Sunday. Our team shared the gospel with her. She might be the Lydia in that whole nation. She might open her home and start a church and change the world. Lord, we have no idea. We can't see what you see, Lord. We just know, Lord, that in your way of doing things, there are no unimportant people. You died for every single one of us. And there are no unimportant churches, Lord, because all of us together are the very body of Christ. And we recognize, Lord, that what you're doing through Woodburn Baptist Church is large and bigger than any of us could possibly imagine. So, Lord Jesus, help us not to fall victim to narrow thinking. Help us to know that we serve a great big God, and therefore the journey we're on is a great big journey. And, Lord, help us not to fall back. Help us not to lose courage. Help us not to grow weary in the sacrifices, Lord, until our lives are done. May we follow you, Lord, without fail. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the Savior who has saved us, who will save the world. Amen.